<sighs> Lord, please bless this time right now, Lord. Bless my people right now, Lord, as we read your word and as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we are moving right along in First uh, Peter chapter 2. This is like our third study in this chapter. And you know it's becoming my favorite. I, I've shared that already. But <clears throat> we have at least one more study in this chapter. At least one more. Um, before we get to the chapter that has been truly on my heart for a while, since I knew I was going to get into First Peter chapter 3, um, and so kind of just read on ahead. I want to encourage you to do that. But um, so anyways, we're in chapter 2, so you can turn there and be there. Um, when, when we say that we own something, more often than not, it is because we have gone out to co-purchase something. So, so we go out and we buy it. It's mine. I bought it. It belongs to me. And in one sense, I worked so that I can go get it. And it took time and effort to, to go and purchase the thing that I now want to own in my life. And sometimes it takes some planning on some of the things that, that I go to go purchase. But I want to, or we, we end up going to go get what we need or what we want in our life. Certain things. And for the most part, we will take care of it if we actually worked hard to go get that. Right? And so we, we, we take care of it because we have, or I have, invested time and effort. And so more often than not, and I know parents, they, they like to do that with their kids. Teach them what it means to go work for something instead of just handing them something so they can appreciate it because they've invested time and effort. And they own it. It's theirs. And when it comes to family, it's not like you go out and buy yourself a wife or a husband. Well, I guess you could. Um, <laughs> people do that and have done that. But you really don't go and do that. You don't go and buy yourself a wife. Although it's going to call you, cost you a pretty penny to get a spouse. Um, but it's not like you went consciously and said, man, I am going to like throw down some bucks here to win her over or win him over. Um, we don't do that, and, and then we don't really like say, like, I own her. But I do call her my wife, you know? It's like I don't call her my slave, although she is at times that, and I have paid a pretty penny for her. But <laughs> for the most part, we don't really say, oh, I own my wife or my husband. And when it comes to kids, you know, they do cost us a, a fortune, but it's not like we go out to pay for them unless, you know, you go and adopt and you do all the process and all that stuff. But we call them our own. They are our kids. And there are things in my life that are a part of my life that I wouldn't necessarily say they are mine, but they are mine. Because I do invest in them. I would call this place my church. I have called it my church for 26, 26 years. I don't own it, and I know I'm the pastor of it, but I don't like, oh yeah, it's my church. I like bought it. But I have put time, effort, finances, resources, all that I can invest into this place. So I, it is mine. I call it my church. And I hope 
that if, if this is your church, you call it your church. You take ownership of it if you invest time, money, and effort and all those kinds of things in it. But th- I call this place that we live in my community. If I'm talking to somebody, I'm saying, oh, my community. But I didn't purchase it. I, I'm not the mayor of it. I'm not, I'm not anything like that. But it is my community for the last 26 years, and I want to die here. I, I love this community. It's my community. I take pride in it. Same thing with my state. I'm not native born to California, but since 1962, this is my state. And I act like a Californian. I drive like a Californian. <laughs> All those kinds of things. This is my state. Another person comes in with different license plates, like, dude, you're in my state. Right? I know we're a little crazy, but you're in my state. It's still my state. And same thing with my, with, with my country. I'm proud of my country. I was born in this country. I, will, I, I, I am so proud of our country. Even though we go through what, what, whatever we go through, it is the best country in the, in the world. It really is. And God has blessed us here. And we need to continue. But when it comes to this earth, we would say that it is our earth. I don't know who we would say that to because everybody else lives here. You know, unless some alien came up, it's like, no, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. Because I really can't live anywhere else but this place. Not normally. It is in our DNA. We are made up of this earth. We live in it. And we are to take care of it. But it really doesn't belong to me. I don't own it. There is one that lays claim to this place. There is one who owns this place. He thought of it. He made it. So it belongs to him. And this is what the owner says of this place. Job, and I got some scriptures to throw out to you guys. So jot these down. Job 41, 11. God speaking to Job says, Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. That's what the creator says. In Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds, all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine in all its fullness. That's what the owner says about this place. And this last one that I kind of saved for last, but it's from Exodus. Because it's kind of going to cover kind of what we're going to be covering this morning. But in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, God speaking to Moses, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Again, the creator speaking to one of his creation, saying, you tell that to that nation that's mine. He says, all of it is mine. Now, even though all of this belongs to God and he created it all, he gave it to man 
to tend it, to take care of it. He gave it to Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, they basically, when they did that, they gave the title deed over to Satan. And he is now called the ruler of this place. But God bought it back. He bought it with the precious blood of his son. And so he still owns it. But Satan knows that his lease will be up one day. And he is out for the souls of men. That's who he's out for. He knows his his time is short. And he wants to keep as many that he can. Satan knows that the price has already been paid. You see, when he allowed or when he came and, and, and he put Jesus on the cross, he thought, man, I've won. I've, I've had victory, but Jesus resurrected to win, to claim this place for his own once again. And Satan wants to keep as many in darkness. And he wants to keep them from the marvelous light that, that God has given to us through his son. First Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore laying aside all malice and deceit, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There is, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were also also appointed. Verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who has not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good words, works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
going back to verse 9, we'll cover from 9 to 12 this morning. We just learned last week that, that we are a part of something bigger. That we are living stones, add-ons, if you will, to the chief cornerstone. The one that makes up the foundation of this church. We are added on to it. And I love it that the fact that day in and day out, there is add-on to the church. As the church began and, and Peter preaches his first message and all of a sudden, 3,000 are, are saved that day. And the church began to be built. It began to form. We are part of a spiritual house that told us. This church which is living and breathing it is an organism that, that, that is alive. And it's made up of you, people. <laughs> it's not made up of things. It's not made up of a, of a pulpit and, and, and crosses and, and, and buildings. It's not made up like that. It is people. It is you that make up the church. We also learn that we are a, a holy priesthood. That we get to serve within that church. We get the privilege of serving because that is what it makes this living, breathing organism grow and function. That we get to serve. That is what causes the growth as we serve one another and serve others. It all comes about through us. The living sacrifices that are the only acceptable sacrifices that God will accept. Again, we looked at the scripture in, in, in Romans chapter one, chapter 12, 1 and 2, that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, or as the NIV says, which is your uh, act of worship. What an amazing thing. And I thought, man, does it get any better than this? And I submit to you that it does. <laughs> it gets better. Because as we just read in verse 9, it gets better. I, I, I told you last week to read on ahead a little so that you could see what God thinks of you. So that you could see or know who you are. In his sight. As, as he's telling us, man, you make up the church. You are the church. And then he begins to tell us in verse 9 who he thinks or how he thinks of us. That we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who you are. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, amen, huh? Man, when you, when you read something like that, you're going, whoa. The, the, these four characteristics that are mentioned here are attributed to the children of Israel in the OT. He looked at Israel the same way. And some have suggested that that that, that no longer applies to Israel. That that only applies now to the church. And that is not true. God still loves Israel. 
We do not preach replacement theology that we have replaced Israel. We don't preach that. Israel has been set aside, but God still loves Israel. If you read Romans 11, it tells us that, that we were grafted into the olive tree as wild branches we were grafted into. And some of the natural branches were cut off for sure because of unbelief. But they are able to be grafted in again because of who God is. Because he's not done with Israel. He loves Israel. But you see, God did not choose Israel because they were the biggest, the baddest, and the best. You could read about that in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. When he says, I didn't choose you because of X, Y, Z. He chose them because they were pathetic, they were puny, and they were pitied. That's why he chose them. Because he said, I could do a work with them. (laughs) Because if they were big, bad, the best, they would think like they're all it. But he says, man, you're puny. You're pathetic. You're pitied. And guess what? We fit that same category. (laughs) He picked you because you weren't big and bad. Because you were nothing, he chose you. And I just think that's amazing. Because we were not a people. We weren't in that category of being his people. We had not obtained mercy. But somehow in his sovereignty, in his all-knowingness, in his all-powerfulness, in his all-presentness, in everything, somehow he chose us. And he has given us mercy. And he has taken us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Isn't that amazing? Not because you're so good looking, because you're not. <laughs> no. It's because you were nothing. And he said, man, I, 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 could, I could work with nothing. I could work with nothing. I, I don't know how that makes you feel right now. Not that you're nothing, but the fact that God chose you. I don't know how you feel about that, that he took you out of darkness and put you into light. That alone, that alone should drive us to our face and proclaim his praises. Lord, you took me. <laughs> Doggone it, Lord, why? (laughs) Now let's think about that for a second. He owed us nothing. He owed us nothing. And yet he chose us. I'm not crying, it's my voice that's doing this. Just to let you know. (laughs) Drink my tea, thank you. There you go. He owed us nothing. And yet he chose us and has given us everything that makes for eternal life. Not of your own doing. Not at all. He's given us everything. And think, why? Why, God? Why would you do that? Are we really that precious to you? And I submit to you today that you are. 
You are that precious to him. Let's look at what he says about us. He says, you are a chosen generation. You are a chosen generation. To me, that does not speak of something that he got by default. <laughs> that, that, that ended up, well, he ended up inheriting us. He had no choice. That nobody else wanted us, <laughs> so he got us. It reminded me of like being the last kid picked on the basketball team. That was me. Uh, well, we had them last time, but okay. Pick me, pick me. You know, like I will take Zeke this time. It's not like God says, "Ah, oh, now I got to choose him." <laughs> you know, that that'd be such a bummer. It's like, oh, hey, Tony, I'll, I'll take Tony. Nobody else will take Tony. I'll take him. It's not like that. It's not like we just fell in his lap. No, this means that you are a chosen generation. It means that it was intentional. It was totally intentional. That there was a conscious effort on his part to choose one over another and he chose you. That there was others to choose from and he chose me and he chose you and it wasn't like he did a mini eeny meeny miny mo and it's like uh, it's like no he went straight for the mo he went straight for that he didn't even like any meeny miny any of that he went straight for the mo you were the mo you were the mo he chose you on purpose He says that we are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. As much thought as God put into allowing a certain group of people that were already chosen from a certain group of people, he chose a certain group of people within that chosen group of people. He chose them to be his priest. He put a lot of thought into that. He didn't just pick anybody to be his priest to represent him in the Old Testament. They were already a chosen nation, but he went into particular to, to that tribe, to that person of, of Aaron and says, through your family, I want you guys to be my priest. I want you guys to represent me here on earth to the people. And he calls us a special or no, a royal priesthood. So that we can do his special service. We have been called to his service. You are that chosen people. That within that chosen people. He says I want you to be my priest. My royal priesthood. I want you to represent me. I want you to represent me. Can you imagine that? After knowing who you are. And where you've come from. And he says I still want you. I want, I want you to be my representative. Peter had already told us that we were a holy priesthood in verse 5. A set-apart priesthood. But now he also calls us a royal priesthood. And that is not a common thing. That is not a common place. 
Because there is nothing common about royalty. Not the way we look at royalty, huh? Percentage-wise, throughout history, <laughs> royalty is a very, very small percentage of people that have actually been called royalty. And we are chosen, a chosen people, a chosen generation, and a royal priesthood. And then he says, and you are a holy nation also. Again, God chose the nation of Israel out of all the other nations in the world to be a called people, to be called by his name. And he has not forgotten them, as I shared, but he has set them aside for a time. But today, in this church age, God has set us apart for his very own. He did it intentionally. He went out. He spent time and effort and planning to pick you. So that you could be that holy nation that is set apart for him. So that you could be called his people and that you would be called by his name. And not only that... (laughs) He has also given us His Holy Spirit that that His Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. Not that it will come and dwell in this building, but that it dwells in you personally. You are set apart because the Holy Spirit lives in you and dwells among you. He has set us apart for Himself. We are a holy nation. He dwells among his people, which make up the church. And then he says that we are his own special people. His own special people. The God who thought it all up, the God who made it all up, has made the church his own special people today. When you think about the greatness of God, this morning when we're praying, when we think about the universe and all the billions of galaxies that are involved in it, and we, as man, we want to reach it. It's like, dude, you will never, ever, ever reach it. I don't care how advanced we get. It's just beyond us. It is way too big for us. When you think about the greatness of God in that aspect, how does that make you feel? How small does that make you feel? Like, <laughs> But when you think of all that he went through to make you his own special people, how does that make you feel? <laughs> wow. Is that amazing? Is that truly like mind-boggling? Does it blow your mind when you, when you sit and contemplate that? Do you just like, oh, okay, God, I got to stop here because my little pea brain will explode. If I really wanted to go further, I can't, but if I wanted to, I couldn't comprehend it. And he said, man, you're mine. What a, what a special thing that when you decide 
that you want to talk to the God of the universe, He is at your beck and call going, I am so ready to listen to you. I have been waiting for your voice. I sit here looking for you and looking at you and wanting to hear you. You know, and, 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 and sometimes I think I'm the only one that he's waiting for, you know. I think like, man, Lord, you just love me so much. And then I know that he really likes you guys a lot. But, <laughs> but it's like, man, Lord, I am like your, your special, you're like your favorite, right? You know, I think that oftentimes because I'm my mom and dad's favorite, you know. But I think like, well, I'm everybody's favorite probably. <laughs> Especially God's. But then again, it's like, no, you are his favorite. You are his own special people. I truly, once again, when I contemplate those kinds of things, I think, like, Lord, are we really that precious to you? And I submit to you that you are, truly are. Now, to make you feel even more special, the word special, if you have a King James Version, it's peculiar. You are a peculiar people. Now, it doesn't mean what we sometimes think. You know, we think of peculiar people as strange, odd, you know, abnormal, or as Marty Feldman would say in Young Frankenstein, Abby normal. <laughs> That's not what this word is. It doesn't mean that you're strange or, or odd or abnormal. But rather, it means this. It means that this is purchased. This is a, a, a purchased, an acquisition, a possession of the rarest kind. That it is to be preserved and saved. That when you look at it in the strongest concordance, those are the words that come out. A purchased possession. An acquisition. Preserved and saved. Because of its value. You are so valuable. I'm just building up your, your self-esteem here. Huh? Isn't that awesome? Now, I'm not doing this. It's, it's the Lord's word here that's saying, this is what I think about you. My thought for you is this. Honestly, man, you ever feel down in the dumps? Just realize who you are in Christ. Just start fathoming, trying to fathom the, the greatness of God and just Go back to this verse, underline it, circle it, put arrows towards it, you know. Tattoo it on your arm, I don't care, whatever you do. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I guess I would have to say that trying to understand all of this as a church should give us a deep sense of awe, gratitude, and praise, truly praise. How how do we contain that? When we know what he thinks about me and you, how do we contain that? How do we hold it in? And I submit to you that you shouldn't You shouldn't hold that in. When you know how special you are to God, you should not hold that in. It should not be something like, oh, ho-hum. 
This should like get you excited. If my voice was even better, man, I'd be like screaming right now. I gotta take care of it. We should be shouting this from the rooftops. We should be talking to others about it. Because you know what? Other people don't realize that God died for them too sometimes. They don't realize that. It's amazing. And they are so down in the dumps. And we have been brought out of the darkness into the light. And we look at them as like, sucks for you. You know, we should be like, Lord, give me a heart for them. Give me a heart. Give me compassion for them. They're where I was at. And somebody took the time to share Jesus with me. Proclaiming, we should be proclaiming, as it says here. That we may proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And by no means of our own, He did it all. How, how grateful would you be if you were blind and all of a sudden you were able to see? How grateful would you be? I get to see what other people see, what I've never been able to see. How grateful would you be if, if you were trapped and all of a sudden somebody set you free? How grateful would you be? It saved your life. You'd feel indebted to them, wouldn't you? If you were being held hostage somewhere and somebody came and risked their life to rescue you, how grateful would you be to them? You would feel like I owe you everything. And, and people are going to know who you are. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody what you've done in my life. That's what it means to be called out of darkness into the marvelous light. There's only one that could ever do that to you or for you. That can rescue you. You were held hostage by sin and death and he rescued you. You were blind, and then you were able to see. It's all because of Jesus. That's what it means to be called out of darkness into light. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness. It's interesting, he doesn't say for you were once in darkness. He just says you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. And then he says this, walk. As children of light. Walk walk as if you are in the light, guys. You're not in darkness. If you've come to Christ, you are no longer in darkness. He has opened your eyes. The light was, it's open. You could see. He says, walk in it. Walk in it. Don't go back into the darkness. You don't need to. You don't ever need to. You're his own special people. You're his. And I truly think, and again, as I was studying this and looking at this and jotting things down, I truly think that this should just cut us to the very core of who we are. That because of the darkness, I could not even identify with the the children of Israel. I couldn't identify with them. I was not a people. I couldn't identify with the people. They had God. And yet... Because of the rejection of that light, that light now shines to all people. 
not for one particular per, uh, group of people anymore. When God set them aside, he, he, he started the church age. And when this church age, age is over, he will deal once again with, with Israel because it, they are his. But because of that, we have obtained mercy. He has dropped all the charges on us. You're not guilty no more. That's what it means to receive mercy. To not get what you deserve. To think that because the Jews rejected the light, we now become the children of light and we are to walk as children of the light should once again cause us to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. And then verse 11. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter turns to them as he's writing to them and he calls them beloved. My dearest friends, he's saying, my dearly beloved, I beg you, I implore you, I am on my knees beseeching you. In other words, now that I have buttered you all up, of telling you who you are in Christ, You know, as I was thinking about this, as as he makes the transition here in verse 11, as he has been telling us all these things, chapter 1 into chapter 2, he gets to verse 11 and he kind of shifts gears here. He's going to begin to tell us some of the practical things that we need to do as Christians. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, it is much easier to learn theology. It is much easier to teach theology theology, the things of God than it is to do theology. It's much easier to teach those things and hear those things than it is to do what the Word of God says. In other words, it is easier to know than to do. But now Peter wants to get down to the nitty gritty here. He, he wants to get down and dirty, man. He wants to start telling us, okay, now that you know these things, now that you know who you are in Christ, are you ready? Are you ready to continue on? I implore you, my brothers and sisters, let's continue on. When you know who you are in Christ, what else does he have for you? He expects something from you here. He didn't save you just so you can continue being who you were. He brought you out of that darkness into the marvelous light. Are you ready? I implore you, please, are you ready? Move on. Again, I just feel like, man, he is saying we need to do and continue to do these things, and it goes, goes with what the Lord's laying on my heart for this next year. And again, I, I don't want to just keep on leading you on, but again, God is just leading me to share these things with you in January. 
But again, going to this portion, he says, are you ready? Do you want to get down to the nitty-gritty? And his appeal is to the believer. That's you and I, if you're a believer. His appeal is to them, to those who understand that this world is not their home. Do you understand that? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And, and, and Peter, once again, here, he, 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 he calls his beloved. He says, you are sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner is a foreigner, a stranger, one who is just passing through. He has no roots here. He can't call it mine because he's just passing through. A pilgrim is one who comes from a foreign country into a city or a land and he resides there side by side with the natives. But he knows that he doesn't belong there either. He knows his citizenship is from somewhere else. If you remember, this is who Peter is addressing in this book in the first chapter, in the first verse. He's writing to the pilgrims. Those who who, who are from all these different places who now find themselves, those who are from here who find themselves in different places now. He's writing to them. And he begs them. He begs them here. He implores them. To abstain. Don't get caught up. Abstain from what the world is doing. I know that you're in the world, but abstain from what they do. That word abstain means hold yourself constantly back from. Hold yourself constantly back from. Guys, it is not an easy thing to hold yourself back from certain things. I know that. I'm not making light of this, but he is saying, if you're ready to move forward, then you need to abstain from certain things that will categorize you as one that lives there. You don't live there. (laughs) That's not your place. He says, you need to abstain from these things. And he calls them fleshly lusts. And they war against, and they wage war against our soul, our soul. It is a continuous battle. I was talking to my brother-in-law last night. We had our family party. And I tell him, you know, because my family thinks, oh, Zeke, he's a little saint. It's like, dude, I battle life every day. Every day. It's not like I'm this holy person. I don't read my Bible because I'm so holy, because I need to. I don't come and fellowship with you guys because I, I, I'm so holy. Look at me. I'm always here. Say, I need you guys. I need to be around people like you. I battle against the fleshly lust every stinking day. And when I fail, I repent. And I come back to God and go, Lord, oh. and I get just as frustrated as you do. I'm no different. And there's a constant battle that happens for our soul each and every day. Each and every day. It's all about the soul. Satan wants your soul just as God wants your soul. He wants it. They both want it and they war against it. Galatians tells us that there is this battle going on between the spirit and the flesh day in and day out, moment by moment. 
It's all about your soul. That is the only thing that lives on forever. It's all about that. We are not to abstain from fleshly lust for our own spiritual well-being and because of the hurts that come from it. Although that's why we do we abstain from those things for our spiritual well-being and because we get hurt when we don't abstain. But that's not the only reason why we abstain. We abstain because people are watching us. Because we need to be a witness to those who don't know Jesus that we can go through this life. Oh, we suffer. We battle. And again, like with my brother-in-law like yesterday, he's looking at me like, really? He's like, you've been doing this for so long. He's like, dang right, bro. Like, yes, today I'm battling it just like I battled it the first day. (laughs) But all these years, I've been a witness to that man. He has looked at my life. He has been examining my life all these years, for 20-some years, that he's been married to my sister. He's been examining it, and I've been a witness to him. Now, I haven't been the perfect brother-in-law, but man, I my heart is to do that. Not because I know it's going to hurt me if I fall into these, these fleshly lusts. I know it will ruin things. But people are watching us. Man, this throat of mine makes it sound like I want to cry. <laughs> yeah, tea, tea, tea. <clears throat> There has to be something that is in us that should set us apart from what the rest of the world is doing. There has to be something in us. We are to be different. Not strange, not odd, not abnormal. Although the world will look at you that way because they cannot comprehend why don't you do the same things I do? Man, what an open door. What an open door. When, they, when you're going to all these Christmas parties, <laughs> and they're all doing their thing, and you're like, I just want to be a light here. They're like, really? Are you the designated driver or what? It's like, no, I just don't drink like that. Why? Man, what an open door. You don't have to tell, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. No, you know what? I choose not to. I don't have to. And I'm enjoying it too. Man, again, what an open door. But there has to be something, something that sets you apart. Because they're watching our conduct day in and day out. And guys, every time you mess up, and I know you do, just like me, they put that little check. And man, even those checks, even when you mess up, you can say, see, I'm not that perfect. But dang it, will I be repenting in a little bit? (laughs) Not that we should want to do those things, but they watch our conduct day in and day out. But why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they watch you? You are a peculiar person. You are his own special people. They're watching you. Just claiming to be a Christian, they know what that means. Just like you knew what that meant before you became a Christian. 
we have been called to a different standard. Not because we have to be holy and good and all that stuff. Because we are his own special people. We've been called to a different standard. Not perfection, I understand that. (laughs) But different. Just different. Some people might think that in order to win other people to Christ, you have to be just like them. You have to do what they do. You have to talk the way they talk. And in all honesty, they will not be able to tell you apart if you're doing just exactly what they're doing. What good is that? I submit to you that it is not good at all. (laughs) Not good at all. There has to be a difference in you. Even if they speak evil of you or they make fun of you, being different when they need God when they need something because their life is falling apart guess who they're going to turn to that good example in their life that one person that in their office or at their workplace doesn't do what everybody else does because you're different I can come to you I can go and share my heart with you because I know you won't be telling everybody else what I just kind of shared my life with you about. They know that there's a difference. You see, when God comes to reveal himself to them on the day of their visitation, they will remember your good works. If there is good works, they will remember that because you were that different example. There are people who are in darkness all around us and their eyes have adjusted to that darkness And they function fine in that darkness. And they don't even realize they're in darkness. Because they can't comprehend the light. It's too much for them. But you know what it means to come out of that darkness. Because you were once darkness. On the day of visitation when the Lord came to you. And all of a sudden you were able to see. And for the first time you saw things different. Light and darkness are vastly different, aren't they? (laughs) I hate darkness. Even, like, little darkness. I have a nightlight all the time. (laughs) I am. I'm like a little baby. My wife wants pitch dark, and it's like, are you kidding me? Turn the nightlight on. I hate it. (laughs) I know you guys probably think, really, you? Mr. Macho? It's like, yeah, I hate the darkness. (laughs) Just to let you know. It's hard for me to adjust to the... If I get up in the middle of the night, I do not want to be stumbling over stuff. Okay? But they are completely different light and darkness. I'd rather have light than darkness. The lights went out in here, man. It's like it'd be chaos. Right? But if there's light, we can like orderly work our way out. Um, But anyways... You know what it means to be in the light. Guys, let's be light everywhere we go. Many of you have to go and be with family and you're almost dreading it. It's like, don't dread it. Go and be that light among the darkness. You don't have to do what they do. You don't have to talk like they talk. But you know what? Be a light around them. Oh, some of them will go like, oh, get that light away from me. (laughs) Don't be odd, strange, abnormal. Just be different. Hopefully, just like a moth is 
is driven to the light or a fly or whatever, you know. It's like, be that light that they're going, what is that? What is that? What's different about you this year than last year? Guys, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. I know God wants to do amazing things in and through each and every one of you. And I know that for many of you this time of the season, it's a battle. But you have victory. You are in the light. Walk as children of the light. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray so I can go and cry in my office. (laughs) Father in heaven, thank you so much for getting me through this portion, Lord. I thank you so much for your word. Lord, as you have just shown us once again the marvelous light, Lord God, the things that you think about us, Lord, are amazing. Lord, we can stand firmly knowing that we are your chosen generation, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, your own special people. Lord, you have called us out of that darkness into the light, Lord. And I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, I don't know where they're going to be at this week. I don't know what they're going to battle or what they're going to face right now, Lord, but I pray that your spirit, Lord, would go before them. Give them victory, Lord. I pray that, Father, right now, Lord God, they would submit to you and they would surrender to you, Lord, everything. Lord, that you would just give them the ability, Lord God, to be different around their families, Lord God. I pray for their families, Lord. That you would prepare their hearts for these people that will be around their midst, Lord. Bless them. Draw people to yourself, Lord God, and call them that they would come out of the light, Lord. Give my brothers and sisters boldness this week. That, God, they would truly, Lord God, desire to see others saved, Lord. To see others come out of that darkness and into the light, Lord. Use them in a powerful way. Blessed be your name. For you are worthy to be praised. All glory, honor, and praise belong to you, Lord God, for you are good. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you.